An excellent book was recently written entitled Urban Apologetics, Restoring Black Dignity with the Gospel. The editor of that book is Eric Mason, and on the back of the book cover, it says these words, for centuries, millions of people in the black community have found meaning in the restoration of their dignity in the black church. Yet today, many young African Americans are disinterested in Christianity and are leaving the church in search of a more ethnically indigenous spirituality. When the Apostle John wrote this book that we call First John, Christianity had been spreading for over 60 years. According to the book of Acts, it began in Jerusalem and then it reached to Samaria and to Judea and even to the uttermost parts of the world. When John sits down and writes his letter, he's in Ephesus, which is a part of Asia Minor. And the gospel has gotten to that location and churches have arisen. John served in Ephesus as an apostle and as an elder. But at the time that he wrote this letter, there were certain individuals who had left Christianity, so to speak. John writes about them in chapter 2, and he says, they went out from us because they were not really of us. These individuals that John speaks of were once a part of the churches in Ephesus, but they became disinterested in Christianity. They became disinterested in who Jesus Christ is and how he was proclaimed. And so they departed. They were seeking something more relevant. They were seeking something that was new and meaningful to their situation. So basically, John writes his version of the book that I mentioned. And I would say that John would entitle his book, Christian Apologetics. Restoring Christian dignity with the gospel. John writes a book that is shallow enough that a child or a new Christian can wade in it. But it's also a book that is deep enough that even the most mature Christian can drown in it. Don't get it wrong. First John has a lot of basic truths for Christianity. But some of these truths are so marvelous, so magnificent, so wonderful, that it will take us a lifetime to fathom and comprehend what John is saying. John begins his book with what we call a prologue, a preface, a prelude. And in these first four verses, he wants his readers to know that Christianity is the real thing. 
He wants him to be committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be committed to God the Father. He doesn't want them to be enticed and to go after other things like those who were once a part of them. Those individuals left the church. They're looking for something new. They're looking for something different. But John writes so that his readers will remain faithful, so that his readers will remain loyal to the gospel and remain loyal to John and others like him. Don't be intimidated by the fact that there are many religions out there. Don't be intimidated when people say that Christianity is not the real thing or that it's a fake. Don't let that bother you at all. This portion of Scripture is designed for you and for me to to know for certain that Christianity is authentic, it's real, it's genuine. And that despite what others might say about it, John says the truth that he is presenting is the real thing. And so someone might challenge you. Someone might laugh at you that you are a Christian, that you embrace the Christian faith. And John says, in essence, you have good reason to. You are on good foundation. So these verses really help us to live in a pluralistic religious society. I remember when I was a student at USC, the University of Southern California, Adam. And I was on scholarship there, and I was looking for a class to get a good grade because if my GPA fell under 3.0, They took me off a scholarship, so I was looking for an easy class. And I grew up in a Christian home, raised by Christian parents, even though my dad died at an early age. So I said, well, let me take a class on religion. If I know anything, I should know something about religion. And little did I know how naive I was that this wasn't a class dealing with what the Bible calls the gospel or religion. This was a class dealing with all different types of religion. In this class, there wasn't one religion. Christianity was not presented as the real thing. In fact, I remember one of the religions that they communicated was you can smoke some something and experience a closer relationship with God. My friends, We have to get our head out of the sand. There are all kind of isms. There are all kind of false teaching and things promoting itself as religion, as the way to God. And the question you might have and I might wonder about, is Christianity really the real thing? Is it really authentic? Or is it just one of many ways? There's no way that we can look at these opening words of John and come away with the conclusion that Christianity is not a way, but Christianity is the way. And so I want us to see that 
as we go through these opening verses. So let's explore this prologue, this introduction from the subject, Christianity. It's the real thing. It's the real thing. And with regards to this subject, please note the essence of real Christianity. The essence, the heart and soul of real Christianity. And some of you might think that the essence, the heart and soul of real Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. And I would say that's true. But that's not what John gets at here in these verses. He wants us to know that the essence of real Christianity is a message, is a message and also a manifestation. It's a proclamation in a person. When you think about Christianity, make sure you think about a proclamation. And that's what John does at the very end of verse 1. I'm going to skip over the opening part of verse 1, but I want us to look at the end of verse 1. Because there we read the words concerning the word of life. John is proclaiming concerning the word of life. He's writing about the word of life. That's his theme. That's his subject. And when you look at that phrase, the word of life, you might be tempted to think that's referring to Jesus Christ. And even in the Bible that I'm using, the New American Standard Bible, it capitalizes word and life. So it's almost as if it's saying, yes, it is the word of life. But that's not what John is saying. John is talking about the message which gives life. John says, I'm writing to you, my readers. I'm writing to you, Christian friends, about the message, about the proclamation. And it's not just any message. It's not just any proclamation, but it's the message. It's the proclamation that gives life to men and women and boys and girls. John says it's not a message about death. It's not a message about just existing. It's a message about life. And he wants us to know that the things that he is proclaiming, the things that he is writing, that it's all about individuals having real life, true life, genuine life. And that's what Christianity is about. At the heart and soul of Christianity, we have a message. We go out into the world and we proclaim a message. And we tell men and women, boys and girls, it doesn't matter what their ethnicity is, doesn't matter what their color is, their age, we tell them about life, real life, genuine life. In a world where people are afraid of everything, where fear grips their heart, we are able to go out and tell individuals about life, about 
the word, our message about life. That's what is at the core of Christianity. But the other thing that's at the core of Christianity is a person. We don't just preach and proclaim a message about life. We proclaim a person, Jesus Christ. And that person is introduced to us in verse 2. And it's basically a parenthesis, a kind of an aside. John is saying some things in verse 1, and then he kind of pauses for a moment. And he wants to bring up Jesus Christ. Because at the core of the problems that the readers are being confronted with, those who are leaving Christianity, so to speak, the reason why they're leaving because of their wrong understanding about who Jesus Christ is. And so John introduces us to Jesus Christ. And he introduces us to Jesus Christ not by using his name. You won't find the word Jesus at all in verse 2. You can read the verse. You can search the verse. Jesus is not mentioned by name. But instead, he's mentioned by a title. He's referred to as the life. That's unusual. That's strange. But, but not if you kind of step back and think about who's writing this, John. And remember, he wrote that wonderful gospel that we call the Gospel of John. And in that gospel, he talks about Jesus as the bread of what? Life. He talks about Jesus Christ as the resurrection and the what? Life. He, he lets us know that on one occasion, Jesus said to his disciples, I am the way and the truth and the what? The life. And so John is using that title to refer to Jesus Christ, the life. And, and the thing that he wants us to know is that this life was manifested. Th this life came into existence. The technical term we use is the incarnation. But, but to make it more relevant to us, it's what we celebrate on Christmas Day. The birth of Jesus Christ. When John writes these words, he's saying that the life, Jesus Christ, came into existence when he was born on Christmas Day having been conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. On Christmas Day, he was manifested. He was born. He came into existence. People saw him. And John says that the life was manifested. And we talk about heaven coming down and glory filling our soul, we need to understand that, that that's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ coming down from heaven and walking on earth. He was manifested. The Word was the life that was manifested. And John wants us to realize that Jesus 
came into existence. We call it the incarnation. Later on in this same book, in chapter 3, verse 5, he'll say, you know that he, that is, Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. You want to know why Jesus came into this world? Because you and I are sinners by nature and by choice. And John says in chapter 3, verse 5, that Jesus came into the world. He appeared. He was manifested in order to take away sins. And then a little bit later, he said in verse 8, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The life was manifested. Jesus appeared. And John says he knows that to be true because he personally experienced this reality. He says, we have seen. John was blessed to see Jesus, to be with Jesus. But we'll talk more about that a little bit later. Not only did John experience Jesus, but John affirms this reality that Jesus was manifested. John says, I bear witness. I, I can testify to that reality. And then he also says, and he announces it. We have seen and bear witness and we proclaim. John says, I open up my mouth and I make the announcement that the life was manifested, that Jesus walked on planet earth. John said, that's my message. That's not his whole message, but that is a part of his message. This life was manifested. And this life that John speaks of, that he bears witness to, that he experienced, this life he refers to as eternal life, meaning that Jesus is eternal. And then he goes on to say that this life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That might not move us, but it moved John to be able to say that this life, that this Jesus was with the Father. He is declaring a marvelous truth about Jesus. And that truth is the pre-existence of Jesus. That before Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit, before he was born on Christmas Day, he existed. As John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ existed before he was ever conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. And John said, this word, this eternal life was in the very presence of God himself. So we get a little bit shocked when we read verse 2 and it talks about the life, the eternal life. Because we think of that which we possess. But John is saying that this life, 
this eternal life is all wrapped up in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants us to know that this Jesus Christ is the heart and the soul of Christianity. When you think about real Christianity, two things ought to come to your mind, John says. The proclamation that gives life to individuals in the person who is the source of that life. That's the essence of Christianity. I want to move on to the second point. How do we know that Christianity is the real thing? Well, John provides the evidence for real Christianity. And he does that in the first part of verse 1 and also in the first part of verse 3. John provides direct and convincing evidence that Christianity is real and genuine. That it's not phony. It's not a hoax. It's not one of many ways. It's the real thing. And John says, I'm not giving you circumstantial evidence. I'm giving you direct Evidence. And it's as if John takes the witness stand and he goes on the witness stand, raises his hand, and then puts it on the Bible and he swears, I will tell the truth about who Jesus Christ is. I know there's individuals going out telling you that Jesus Christ is this or that and that people are leaving your midst, but John says, I am an eyewitness. I can tell you authoritatively, as one of the followers of Jesus, who Jesus actually is. And so that's what John does. He proclaims to his readers the evidence. What does he proclaim? He proclaims, first of all, what was from the beginning. That's the first proclamation coming out of John's mouth. What was from the beginning? It is interesting that John uses this word, what. He doesn't just do it with that first phrase, but the second, third, and fourth phrase in verse 1, and then in chapter 3, verse 1, he uses what again. We would expect who. We would expect John to say in verse 1, who was from the beginning. But John doesn't say who, he says what. Because he's not just speaking of Jesus Christ, but he's including the works and the words in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, He's using a, a term that is more comprehensive than who. John says, I want to talk to you. I want to proclaim to you about the one who was from the beginning. I want to tell you about his person. I want to tell you about his words. I want to tell you about his works. And we hear the word, the beginning. And if we know anything about our Bible, we think of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, what did God do? He created the heaven and the earth. Or we read the gospel of John, John 1-1. In the beginning was the word. And now we come to John's letter. He begins his letter with what was from the beginning. 
But the beginning here does not go eternity past. It, it doesn't go to the beginning of creation. Why not? Because John himself can't bear witness to that. He wasn't there in eternity past. He wasn't there when God spoke and opened his mouth and the world came into existence. So when John says what was from the beginning, he's talking about the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And he said, I'm taking the witness stand. I'm telling you what has happened from the time Jesus began his public ministry. And so what does he go on to proclaim? He says, I proclaim what I have heard. It came into his ears. He heard it personally. And the reality, it's probably been over 60 years before he heard Jesus, six years after he heard Jesus speaking. But the words that the Lord spoke are so magnificent, so wonderful, that John said, they're still ringing in my ears. I'm still hearing what my Lord spoke over 60 years ago. Some of us can't remember 60 minutes ago. And some of us will give evidence that what we're hearing right now, we will forget. But John said these words were so marvelous, so magnificent, so amazing, that I, I had the privilege of hearing them back then, but, but it's still ringing in my ears. It's like I can't get them out of my ears. And just think about it. You got to hear Jesus preach the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. He got to hear Jesus teach in parables. He got to hear Jesus talk about what is going to happen in the future. The Olivet Discourse. He was there when Jesus gave his upper room discourse. The amazing things that he heard from the mouth of Jesus. And if that's not enough, just go back and read the Gospel of John. And read about those seven different times that Jesus says, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And one occasion, Jesus just simply says, I am. And he made himself equal with the God of Exodus 3. The God who said, I am who I am. And Jesus on one occasion just simply said, I am. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the true vine. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. John says, I heard all of those things. And it's still ringing in my ears. And I'm testifying to you. I'm taking the witness stand. I want you to know that Christianity is a real thing. And that's why I proclaim to you what I have heard. But he doesn't stop there. There, He said, I proclaim to you what I have seen with my eyes. He's not talking about some vision. 
Like in Revelation, that book where he sees the future through a vision. No, he's saying, with my own two eyes. Now, John has been around a while. His eyesight probably is not as what it used to be. But he has never, ever forgotten what he saw in Jesus when he walked on earth. He said, I saw him with my eyes. I'm not telling you what others saw. I'm telling you what I saw. And no doubt he's talking about the miracles of Jesus. And just think about all of the wonderful miracles John was privileged to see. To be in that boat with the other disciples and to see that the winds and the waves were rocking and tossing and filling up that boat and to see Jesus asleep, resting, while they're running around in chaos and they wake Jesus up and he just speaks to the wind and to the waves. Peace, be still. He was there when he told Lazarus to come out of the grave. He saw these different wonderful miracles. And again, if you've forgotten them, read the Gospel of John. When he turned the water into the wine. When he healed that nobleman's son at a distance. He didn't even have to be in his presence. He just healed him at his distance. When he healed that blind man who had been blind for over 30 some years. When he healed the man who was at the pool. I mean, John says, I've seen it. I'm giving you firsthand account of what took place. And then he goes on, I proclaim to you what I have beheld and our hands have handled. And it sounds like he's maybe saying the same thing. He says, what I've seen with my eyes, but now he says, beheld. And, and it's a, a word related to seeing, but we get our English word theater from it. So John is saying, I sat down in the theater, and on the big screen, I, I saw the movie on the life of Jesus. I, I saw it firsthand. And I didn't just see it, but I understood it eventually. I comprehended what I saw. And then he goes on to say, I handled him with, with my own hands. The same word is used of a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, where Jesus says to his disciples, after he's risen from the dead, he said, see my hands and my feet that it is I myself. And then he says, touch me. Touch me. I, I want you to know that I'm not a spirit. A spirit, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. That's what John is proclaimed. That's what he gets on the witness stand and testifies to. And, and remember what Jesus said to Thomas. Take your hand, take your finger, put it in my side, put it in my hands, Thomas. And, and we don't know if Thomas ever did it, but Thomas saw him and said, my Lord and my God. Here is John on the witness stand proclaiming what was from the beginning, 
what he has heard, what he has seen, what he has beheld and handled. And he summarizes all of that in verse 3. He says, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim. So Christianity is not hearsay. It's not circumstantial evidence. This is straight from someone who was present when Jesus was on the earth. You got these fools walking around saying Christianity is not real. But John says, I want you to know. I want to give testimony. I want to give you evidence that is real and solid so that you can be certain about the faith that you are following. Don't follow fact or fiction. Make believe stuff. The final thing that I want us to see in the last part of verse 3 and in all of verse 4 is the effects of real Christianity. What it produces. Genuine Christianity produces fruit. Produces fruit. It bears the fruit of fellowship. And we learn this when we find out why John took the witness stand. Why did he proclaim what he heard and what he saw and what he handled and what he beheld? Why did he do that? He tells us the purpose in the middle part of verse 3, that you also may have fellowship with us. John says, I'm telling you all of this, not so that you would just go on and live your life. I'm telling you all of this, not that you'll follow anybody. I'm telling you all of this because I want you to have fellowship with us, with John and the other apostles and those who are like-minded. And when he talks about fellowship, I know what comes to your mind. You're thinking about what is Deacon Ed going to be cooking in the gym? I'm ready to fellowship around some food. We think of a room, or we think of food. But John is thinking thinking of partnership. When he says, I'm writing this so that you can have fellowship with us, John says, I want you to be partners with me. I want you to be loyal and faithful to that partnership. I don't want you to be like those who have left who prove that they never, ever were partners with John and the others. So John says, I'm writing these things. I'm proclaiming these things. That you might have fellowship, partnership. That you might be shareholders in this real Christianity. And John says, when you have fellowship with me and, and the others, Really, you have are having fellowship, as he says in verse 3, with the Father. Fellowship with the Father. But he goes a step further. Because those lunatics who left among John's readers, who, who went out from them, they would agree with John about the Father, about God the Father, where they would disagree is when John adds the warning that the fellowship that I want you to experience is not only with the Father, but also with His Son. 
Who is the Son? Jesus Christ. You see, the people in John's day who had left had a faulty, wrong view of Jesus Christ. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They believed at a point in time he became the Son of God and he ended being the Son of God before he died on the cross. They had a messed up view of Jesus Christ. And John is saying, look, if you're going to have fellowship with me, if you're going to have fellowship with the Father, you have to also have fellowship with his Son. And I'm going to tell you who his son is. He is Jesus, a historical person, the Christ, the Messiah. And if that is not your view of Jesus, John said, you can't have fellowship with me. And so JWs, we can't fellowship with them. Because their view of Jesus Christ is that he's not God. Mormons, we can't fellowship with you. We can't partner with you. We can't be shareholders with you because you got the wrong view of Jesus Christ. And John is saying, I'm writing to you. I want you to know that this Christianity is real. I want you to be partners and sharers with me. But you have to understand, you can't partner with me unless you partner with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So it matters. It matters what we believe about Jesus. Don't have your head buried in the sand and think it doesn't matter at all. It matters. It's a matter of life and death. You get Jesus Christ wrong and your soul is lost for eternity. No one is going to heaven with a wrong view of Jesus Christ. No one is a partner with the Father unless they understand correctly who Jesus Christ is. So real Christianity bears the fruit of fellowship and also the fruit of joy. We know that from what John says in verse 4. He had told us what the purpose of his proclamation was. Now he tells us the purpose of his writing. Why did he write First John? So that our joy may be made complete. John wanted his joy to be filled up to overflowing. And the only way that could happen is that the readers of his letter have to remain loyal and true to Jesus Christ. They have to be in fellowship with the Father and with the Son. John is revealing his pastoral heart. He's letting us know what brings him joy in ministry. It's not if the church is packed on Easter Sunday. It's not how many people show up. John said, the thing that causes me to have joy that is overflowing, joy that is full and complete, that lacks nothing, it's when I know Individuals are in partnership with the Father and the Son. That is, that they're born again, that they're saved, and that they have a relationship with Christ. That's what brings them joy. Does that bring you joy? When you find out that people 
sell out to Jesus Christ. They follow Him. They live for Him. John shares his pastoral heart also in 3 John, verse 4. When John says in that verse, I have no greater joy. Nothing in all of life gives me greater joy, John says, than to hear that my children walk in the truth. My wife and I have adopted that verse for our literal kids. Regardless of their accomplishments. And we've told them this on many occasions. And they know how they respond to it is up to them. But we told them, I mean, no greater joy to, than to know that they're walking in the truth. That's what will give me my greatest joy in life. Eleven medals. That's not the greatest joy. Starting a shoe coming, that's not the greatest. The greatest joy is to know, to know that they're walking in the truth. And until that is happening, then my soul can't be full of joy. It cannot run over. And John is saying, I'm writing this letter to you because I want you to experience the real thing. I want you to be a part of genuine Christianity. I want my joy to be full, and I want your joy to be full. And so Christianity, my friends, is the real thing. It is the real thing. Don't let anyone mislead you, misguide you, or deceive you regarding that truth. The the essence of Christianity, real Christianity, is a proclamation that gives life and it is a person who is the source of that life. The evidence, the evidence for genuine Christianity comes from John the Apostle himself, a man who walked with Jesus, who, who, who had the privilege from the beginning of Jesus' ministry to see him He heard him. He saw him with his eyes. He beheld him as if he was sitting down in a theater. He handled him with his hands. And he says, I'm proclaiming this to you so that you will know that Christianity is the real thing. And the effects, what John wants to see happen in the lives of his readers is that they will become partners and shareholders with them. In a sense, they are. But he says, if you depart, if you leave, if you go after false doctrine and false teaching, if you listen to the antichrists that are in the world, the false prophets, then you just demonstrated that you're not a part of that fellowship. And he talks about joy. No greater joy for John for that when it's all said and done, he can write this letter with the goal, with the hope that his heart will be filled to the brim and overflowing with joy. 
with joy. And that's what we want for each and every one of you. To have joy that overflows. That comes through having a partnership with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That responds to the apostolic evidence that's been given. Here is a man who takes the witness stand and said, I've been with them from the beginning of his public ministry. I walked with him for three or three and a half years. I've heard him. I've seen him. I've handled him. It's the real thing. So the question is, what are you going to do? And if you've already become partners with the Father and with His Son, make sure you remain faithful and loyal to God. May it not happen to any of us here at Fairview, our members, that one day we leave Fairview to follow false doctrine. I'm not talking about changing membership. I'm talking about following false doctrine and false teaching. That will break our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that Christianity is the real thing. Give us opportunities this upcoming week to reflect and think about the essence of Christianity, real Christianity, the evidence for real Christianity, and also, Father, the effects. May we make sure that we are partners with the Father and with His Son. May we make sure, Lord, that we are experiencing this joy that comes by knowing that we're in right relationship with You. The Lord, use these words, this text, to convince us and to shore up our belief and our understanding about Christianity. We pray this in Jesus' name.